The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. All right, welcome back. Still recording here from good old Evanston IL. Not quite as good as Chicago, but when when I'm back here, I let the accent come out. I'm sorry, the accent come out uh, just a little bit. Also, if you're uh, interested in following my journeys on this crazy road trip that's probably going to reach 10,000 miles by the time it's over, follow me on Instagram, Nate B. Duncan. But let's talk a little basketball here in something we haven't done in quite some time, really since the 15 and 60 for at least uh, publicly. Our Patreon subscribers, of course, get a mailbag every month. But it was fun to break into some of the questions that, that have piled up here with this seminal off season. Where would you like to start, Mr. Luru? Well, we got all asked a series of questions about USA basketball, which is honestly something that I haven't been thinking about as much. I've kind of been waiting for the pullouts to sort themselves out. But we got asked a couple of questions about, you know, what our roster would look like and who could take a leap forward. So uh, one of them was, if you were in charge, who would make the final cut based on who has accepted the invite? So I thought I'd run through the players and we could talk about it a little bit. I thought that'd be a worthwhile endeavor. So I was going through the most recent email that Team USA sent me. And uh, so who they had listed as national team members confirmed to participate, because I think that's a good place to start. Harrison Barnes, Drummond, Kuzma, Brooke Lopez, Lowry, Chris Middleton, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, PJ Tucker, Miles Turner, and Kemba Walker. So- Well, all right. So so let's just start at the top here then. Like, gotta have Kemba Walker. I mean, he's really the only- absolute premium scorer at the NBA level in this group yeah and an all-NBA player I mean in that in that conversation and can be a, a, a nice pick and roll operator for this team which is more important because they're going to need some of that shot creation so yeah I would Kemba Walker and Kyle Lowry I mean they, they should both obviously make the team and I think they should get the lion's share of the if we're going to call it point guard minutes but so of this group the the players that I I would be a little bit less confident like even making team like I think there's a place for for pj tucker i'm not as sold on drummond though he i'm fine having him on the team i would have brooke lopez and miles turner above him just because of their the floor yeah well, space well here let's let's do it this way who should who should our starters be let's start with just sure. who our okay. starters should be so for me the the clearer starters are kemba i would say donovan mitchell at the two chris middleton at the three the four you could go in different directions depending on matchup i would probably of the national team guys go with pj tucker just because the stability defensively. And then at center, Lopez or Turner, just I, I mean if you need somebody more mobile, go yeah. with go with Turner if you want some if you can use Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez. And I would be giving those guys a lot of the minutes. Yeah, I mean, and this is gonna be very interesting because Greg Popovich generally does not have his bigs space out a lot that hasn't been his mo he's finally in the last couple of years come around to using smaller players at the four that generally has been team usa's formula since mike shashevsky took over and while certainly 
you could make your arguments about him not being the greatest strategic coach in the world. The record with him up there was pretty darn good. Only lost one game to Greece in the semifinals of the 2006, what was then the World Championships. So that's been important. To me, The what makes the biggest difference for Team USA against these other teams is that we have these crazy athletic wings who can score that these teams just don't have the ability to match up against. You know, I mean, they, these teams had nobody, you know, like Spain, even in their glory days, was playing like Rudy Fernandez at the free, and they're trying to guard LeBron and KD, you know, when we had a, our best groups with guys like that. And that just, a, it wasn't going to work. Um, and they're really, you know, again, maybe Australia, if Joe Ingles is going to play, I mean, he's, he's like one of the best wing defenders uh, on these teams I mean you know if Giannis plays for Greece I haven't looked up that much like who's playing and not playing uh for some of these teams but you know that's the biggest thing that we're missing here you know I would say Walker Mitchell like those guys are definitely step downs from your Steph Curry's and even your Kyrie Irving's uh Harden some of the, the primary creators but those wing guys are the biggest ones and so you know we really don't have that awesome wing score you know no Kawhi no KD obviously he's hurt no LeBron no Paul George he's hurt also so Middleton to me is a must right I mean he can defend pretty well at that position shoot I I think to me my thought would be let's build the team around Walker and Donovan Mitchell maybe a little bit of of Middleton isos when we really need a bucket and then just go all shooting and defense outside of that and just hope that you know that you can get enough offensively and really try to win games defensively with the athleticism and rim protection yeah it's a sound strategy and they have enough rim protection especially if like I think playing Lopez and and Turner as your primary centers allows for a few more shooting limited perimeter players when necessary so if if Mark a smart I would probably end up with him on the team as a defensive option PJ Tucker same reason and you can you can use those guys in different ways and smart of the he's the one of the more recent invitees he's on the currently on the training camp roster I believe I, I don't know how I don't know exactly how they're defining those terms but other players that I would be interested in considering De'Aaron Fox would be De'Aaron Fox and Trey Young like I also think one of those guys getting on the team would be great and experience yeah, for them. Young is good is just gonna suck too much defensively i'm not that's I'm that's not a, it's a concern but I but no i mean i think it. like like De'Aaron fox to me i mean they just need you know if donovan mitchell just isn't quite working out as a scorer uh you know i think fox and especially for the transition game too you know fox really adds that element which you know none of these other guards are really do a ton of yeah and they're they're not really other than maybe like jalen brown and then tatum is a more accomplished guy but in a little bit of a different vein there aren't really those kind of like high ceiling wings on this t- in on the, these rosters either yeah not so, tough joe harris Mikhail Bridges I like Mikhail oh, oh you're, you're talking about like the the training camp roster like even now. on the select yeah. team because I mean one of those guys could make the team you know it's certainly possible you could see somebody but there, there just aren't that many kind of like lottery ticket type guys that's why part of the reason why I expect Harrison Barnes to make it just because you need more forward-sized human beings and Harrison Barnes is a forward-sized human being yeah so, well so so who are we axing here who are like the obvious cuts so I, the, I've the, got one <laughs> <laughs> is, it, is it is it is it Drummond or who is it? Uh, Mason Plumley. Oh, oh yeah. Well, so so there, what I'm thinking of the holdover guys, there are eleven. So are there any of those? I'll run through those again: Barnes, Drummond, Kuzma, Lopez, Lowry, Middleton, Mitchell, Tatum, Tucker, Turner, and Kemba. Are there any of those guys that you are are on the outs for you? Uh, I, I think Kuzma doesn't really add much. I mean, he he just says uncertain shooter, doesn't really defend. You know, needs the ball to be effective, and there are going to be better offensive options. I don't really you know. He, 
and he's uh, scores like that don't really have the ability to come in and play a role you know I mean especially as a guy who's going to be towards the end of the bench so I, I actually kind of prefer for the end of the bench guys guys who are more limited but have some special ability which you know that's not really good, like but. Marcus Smart oh yeah I mean I, I love Smart I think he's going to be he's going to be in the rotation he should play like, absolutely like he and Tucker to me are going to be real keys to this group I mean that's what I'm talking about and Smart shooting is certainly a question mark we've also seen a lot of times even with the shorter line you'll see some of these mediocre NBA shooters just because they're either because they're playing with so many stars the ball's different or the arena's different or whatever it is you know it does seem like a lot of these guys will just miss shots in ways that they you know if you're not a great shooter in the NBA you become like a really poor shooter in these FIBA competitions that's kind of seems like it's been the the pattern um yeah, but so- yeah I mean I think defense is where is the one thing that these international teams are not going to be able to match for the U.S. with like the strength and toughness and athleticism that the U.S. can bring with the right groups. And, and that's why Harold and Julius Randle, who were on the recent additions list, they wouldn't make my team. They don't really bring enough to the table, and there are still enough bigs. So I wouldn't there. I like Thaddeus Young, and there are. Yeah, scenarios. he's a tough one for me because he does take you out of playing a four out style or even a five out style, but he's also you know one of the better defensive guys in this group right so I, I think he's on the borderline and it, it kind of depends on upside you know like I think Thaddeus Young is a meaningfully better player than Jalen Brown there are scenarios where I would where I would rather have Jalen just if you need a little bit more ball handling or but I don't I don't it's not like Jalen Brown's a knocked out shooter or anything like that obviously um so here I'll run through quickly through the select team guys and if, tell me if there are any of those that you would that you would seriously consider that you would seriously consider bringing in and I'll, I'll, okay, so that full list is Jared Allen, Marvin Bagley, Mikhail Bridges, Jalen Brunson, John Collins, Pat Connaughton, De'Aaron Fox, Joe Harris, John Isaac, Mitchell Robinson, Landry Shamit, Derek White, and Trey Young. Yeah, De'Aaron Fox to me is the guy that I'm most interested in. And maybe Shamit would potentially be the other one as just a real absolute knockdown shooter if teams uh, are and, playing and, zone. And Shamit yep. with the shorter line, that could end up, be, I mean, he'll be, because he, yeah. he won't even have to use the shorter line depending on how they want to do it. Same thing with Brooke Lopez. If they want to just camp Brooke Lopez out, it's going to be like a mile and a half behind the FIBA line. Yeah, all right. So so let's just, uh, let's pick our 12 overall. To me, I, I would pick Fox for sure. So our the real question is going to be how many wings and which wings do you keep versus how many bigs? Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think three centers is enough. These guys do tend to get in foul trouble a lot more in FIBA play, to be sure. Uh, but, you know, Walker, Mitchell, Lowry, Smart, and Fox, do you keep all those guys? Lowry, you know, he's supposed to be back from this thumb surgery by then. Uh, by the way, real quick aside, I just love the way Kyle Lowry just loves to compete. Like the fact that he's like coming back from thumb surgery, you could easily have used that as an excuse. He was awesome on the 2016 team that probably should have lost a couple of games, frankly. Uh, and I mean, I I remember back to when like you know I saw him playing at Adidas Nations in 2014 and like out there playing against college kids and like taking charges. Like the guy just loves to get out there and compete. And he just he's made plenty of money in his career. But even though he's like in his 30s, he doesn't care. He's gonna he wants to get out there and play. Even coming off an NBA championship run, I, uh, that's it's pretty impressive to me. Despite the fact that I totally understand everyone else backing out of this like relatively unpaid opportunity uh so i don't begrudge guys for backing out well, with well, 
so, their careers. But uh, echoed on all that, the the hard part about playing those five, getting those five guards, is that if you're going to have three bigs, that means you only on a 12 man roster, you only get four forwards. I mean, you can play Marcus Smart at the three, obviously, but that's you know that is putting it pretty thin there. I think that is what I would do though, because Smart can play different. He can defend so many different positions. My three bigs would be the three that are are, are the the holdovers: Miles Turner, Brooke Lopez, and Andre Drummond. Y- you could talk me into a couple other guys for the third spot, but Drummond, especially if they could ever t- get him on board with the FIBA goaltending rule, would be awesome. But yeah, I mean, w- would you consider going Thaddeus Young instead of Andre Drummond? I would consider it. Yeah, in and in, in a normal circumstance, if if a team is carrying three bigs in this format, I would and, and you could have- still play PJ Tucker at center, like he yeah, played that true. in the NBA, like that's he's true. strong enough. It's an you interesting play, idea. So then yeah. you could get because then you get kind of a fifth. You get a fifth forward. Yeah, get a little more versatility there. I mean, yeah. I, I might like Young instead of Drummond. Greg Popovich, I'd be shocked if he did that. And Steve Kerr is on the staff too. Like they, those guys love having a ton of bigs out there. So. Yeah, uh, yeah, but we're we're doing our team, so yeah, I, I think yeah. I'll go. I think I'll go with that approach, and so then that allows me to go with four forwards. Middleton is the is the most obvious of those picks. PJ Tucker, second most obvious. Then I'll go. I think I'll go Barnes and Tatum. I'm not super. Oh yeah, because I already have Smart on, so that that's fine. I go with those. I'd I'd be interested in in somebody like Shamit. You know, like that that would that would be a possibility. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's probably Lowry. Also, you could play Lowry at the two. Yeah. if you need. To. Oh, absolutely. So uh, yeah, and if you got Fox on there, like I think that's actually you don't need to, like Lowry's good enough. Sure, I don't think you need uh, Shamit necessarily. I, I would rather go Jalen Brown, and then it would come down to Barnes or Tatum for me. And I, ah, oh, man, I mean that's tough. Like Barnes to me is a little bit more reliable defending the four, a little bit more reliable three point shooter. Uh, Tatum provides more ISO scoring ability, but I think you've got enough scores on this team. Uh, you know, there is the thought that maybe Tatum blossoms and, you know, he's played plenty of USA basketball before, so is Barnes. Uh, I would guess that it probably will end up being Brown who gets left off if it does go in this direction. Um, but, and it doesn't sound like Fox is going to be on there. Maybe he'll just play so well in the camp that they can't keep him off. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's not going to be a great team though. No, no, they don't have, they don't have the same oomph, the same burst, but let's get into the other question we got asked here which is who do you see taking the biggest leap forward next season after playing for team usa they mentioned james harden having taken a jump there are lots of guys that have done that in the past yeah i mean the 2010 team a lot of guys really catapulted kevin love Derek rose westbrook uh a lot of guys and this team has been likened to that 2010 team but i thought that 2010 team number one they had kevin durant on that team even at that age you know he was already you know scoring i think he might have even been the scoring champion in 2010 uh and you know he was he was unbelievable and also they lucked out that spain lost well before them and then they were able to take care of the host turkey in that tournament which, which was i mean I, I really enjoyed watching that team that was one of my more favorite iterations of team usa um but yeah i think they're, they're gonna be vulnerable as far as who could take a step forward i mean i think mitchell to me is is the most obvious and then tatum and brown if they make it and play a reasonable amount you know i think that those are really the only guys ed turner would be Aaron fox one too. yeah if he makes, makes it, it. But I, yeah miles yeah. turner is actually the one that i thought of he took such a big leap defensively last year but and, and it's not like popovich has the history of maximizing stretch bigs in in the maybe in the fever yeah. format he can do it but I think Turner could end up really looking good in the format, and I, I've been a believer in him for such a long time that I could I could see it. And yeah, I, I'm excited about what this team could be. And 
being a little bit more drama about how it's going to work out. And we're probably still a little bit away. I haven't gone through, as you said, the world rosters yet. I think we're still a little bit away from those teams really rising to the level that I want them to be. And there's some talent that's just growing. Like the Canadian team is a great example of that. They're a couple of years away, but it's going to be fun. Yeah, I think Australia... Yeah, I don't know if France is going to have all their guys either. Uh, so we'll talk more about this. Maybe we'll uh, try to get in touch with Christian Pelletier, who uh, has been on for a while, but I always uh, enjoy discussing uh, international competition with him. Um, another thing that you will enjoy is reading The Athletic. Danny, uh, any athletic articles in the last couple of days uh, that have come out that you've uh, thought were good? Oh, I've got one. <laughs> I think I know where you're going. Uh, a, a person I actually saw on Friday in Milwaukee uh, on my way down. Seth Partno has now joined the athletic so you can uh he is back to joining the good guys after being uh on the evil team side and accepting our slings and arrows of criticism uh, low these many months uh but i mean seth was doing unbelievable work at nylon calculus which of course got him hired by a team and now though he's back and i think he's going to take up a mantle of really researching new frontiers of what really works and doesn't in basketball that you know, as he said in his intro article he didn't have as, as much of a chance to do with the box so with the demands of everyday competition uh to really try to push the frontiers but with his uh, the unique statistical tools uh, and knowledge that he has at hand and now fortified by three years uh, of working for the bucks as well so you're going to get all of his stuff at the athletics some uh i think he's going to start doing some podcast appearances too athletic podcast network is awesome ethan strauss had a great article today to interview with jared dudley talking about d'angelo russell and how the warriors are going to come together dudley of course played with d'angelo russell last year so i mean there's just the athletic coverage is unparalleled oh yeah danny writes for them too right I, I do. And actually, Seth coming in is a good way to talk about something that I, I really take pride in for The Athletic. And I've done a few of these over the years, like one with John Krasinski talking about Jimmy Butler's extension, but or possibilities before it didn't happen. But they're very supportive of collaborations. And so Seth and I have already talked about doing some stuff together. I, I know Sam Vecini might get involved as well. We're, we're like, we're, we're getting really creative here. And The Athletic is really supportive of that, of not only giving talented people the space and removing some of the drags like newsers and all that kind of stuff, but also saying, hey, if you have a good idea, we're going to let you pursue it, even if it takes more time and means you're not going to crank out as much material. And so that can be collaborative stuff. It can be solo stuff. And it's it's great to have that support. And you really do see it in the work. The way to get started with The Athletic, theathletic.com slash capspace. Get 40% off a yearly subscription. When you do that, it's only $2.99 a month with that yearly subscription. Theathletic.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash cap space url let them know that you came for us they actually big news today came out that they have now crossed five hundred thousand subscribers which is remarkable for a publication that started in 2016 danny was uh like basically the first writer <laughs> for the athletic uh, certainly in the bay area uh so he's been there from the beginning i've certainly been a supporter of their work from the beginning and uh really enjoy their coverage it's absolutely essential theathletic.com slash cap space again don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right let's get into some more questions here some non-international basketball 
What do you think of the current state of max contracts? Should players with seven to nine years experience be able to receive more money than those with 10 plus years experience to weed out the potential for bad contracts given to aging players? Of course, players with seven to nine years experience who do not qualify for the Supermax get contracts starting at 30% of the salary cap, whereas those with 10 plus years of experience get contracts or can get contracts starting at 35% of the salary cap. Both of us, I believe, I know that you are, are supporters of equalizing the max that players can receive. I, I think 35% is a reasonable line for that. I would be open to anything kind of from 33 to 38. I would need to really do some digging in terms of team building and what makes sense in terms of adding different guys. But one of the big benefits of balancing that out is that there isn't as much pressure for players to sign those long contracts after 10 years of experience. Because that's one of the big problems is that it's not just, okay, players can often fall off in that time. It's that they have to start those contracts after 10 years in order to qualify for that full 35% max. So if you allowed a player with eight years of experience, maybe that contract runs from year eight to year 12 instead of from year 10 to year 14. And I think that would help pretty significantly and would, you know, kind of kind of disincentivize some of the unnecessary waiting, which makes sense given the current constraints. Kem Durant is an example of this. Kawhi Leonard is timing out his contract for the same purpose as well. Yeah, and it really, like, it makes no sense to do it that way, right? You're just again incentivizing players to take shorter contracts and not stay with their teams which is you know supposedly what they don't want to happen and to be clear i believe that any player should be able to get the 35 percent max to start with teams typically pro- or, or players typically provide the most production you know maybe from years five to nine of their careers so it makes the most sense to just uh, allow them to make whatever up to 35 percent. i think beyond that you're really the potential for just completely clogging your cap is just too high so and the one thing that you probably would have to change in that situation is you could always have an exception for raises on your contracts to go above the max or you can and for a new contract you can always get 105% of what your previous salary was. I probably would have that taken off if it, if the guys were able to start at 35% of the salary cap for the true superstars starting in their 5th year with the 8% raises it would just get up to be so high by the end that I think you would, I would just make their max be you know whatever it was they're making in the last year of that 35 percent max or maybe index it to the salary cap or something like that how much however much it's increased since they started which you know again would be 35 percent. so it basically would be indexed to it already now now that i think about it so that would be my approach because otherwise just through the races you could see guys getting you know be eligible for contracts that were like 50 or 60 percent of the salary cap potentially maybe by the end of their careers which which would probably be too much at that point um but yeah i mean i think artificially restricting guys to 25 percent of the salary cap to start now teams wouldn't like that as much because they'd be like oh well it's just it makes it too hard to negotiate with you know your jamal murray types where it's like okay jamal murray you max it out maybe he's not even worth that now anyway but now there's you you can't give them the max anymore because it's 10 percent above and so teams would teams then give 35 percent of the salary cap to jamal murray well it's the max right you're disrespecting him by offering less you know that would be a bit of a minefield for teams but i have little sympathy for that another question here how about 
having NBA contracts start at the high end and decrease, have the Supermax start at $40 million in the first year and decrease to incentivize the player to stay with the team and make older years less punishing for the team. I I think that's just, it's too difficult. I think to do it that way, players don't want to feel like they're continuing to get better and yet their salary is decreasing as the cap is going up uh, as well. So uh, I don't think I would necessarily be in favor of that. And certainly teams can negotiate that into the contract if they want to. There's nothing preventing that from happening right now. So I don't see a reason to force teams to do that. I think there is something preventing it slightly. So I think the idea that the questioner is getting at, which I think is compelling, though not necessarily persuasive, is the idea that let's say a player signed a... had, had the offer of a five-year supermax on the table. The structure of that, because of the 8% raises per year, means that the end is going to be higher. So I think what they're asking is if if team and player agreed to basically have the exact same terms, but just flip the payment order. And so the player's getting the same money. Now, from a time value of money perspective, economically, it, it would make more sense for the players. You, you're right on the emotional point that they might not agree with that. So basically, the idea is that you can't front load a max contract because it's a max contract. I would be you know, for me, I, I generally support flexibility. So if like both player and team were on board and the money was the same, I would not use it as a mechanism to allow players to make more. And I would not do any counting shenanigans to to make it so that you could, because if you could do that combined with like some of these ideas where, oh, the salary doesn't count in full or anything like that, I wouldn't do it. But, you know, it, I generally think if player and team are on board that I would be willing to do it, but I would want to give this a lot more thought before advocating for it, like in a in a public sphere. But it is an interesting idea. All right, got a couple of questions here on Draymond Green. And yeah, I, I didn't mean to be so dismissive of that idea, by the way. I think it, it makes things overcomplicated, but it, it does have a, a point to it that I understand. I, I'm just not sure that it would accomplish the desired goal, which he said of incentivizing the player to stay with the team, I guess because you're getting more money in the beginning. Uh, it also makes them easier to trade later on, which is which is kind of goes a lo- away from the, dis- the incentivizing them to stay with the team, and the team would have control unless it was a no trade. All right, so let's say Draymond Green becomes available at the trade deadline. If you were a contender, what would you be willing to offer for him and how would his value compare to that of Andre Guadalla? I mean, we'll assume that he plays at the level that he played at once he got into better shape and his injury problems were put behind him this year uh although with some of the sieves that are going to be around him on this warriors team it's almost like how would you know that he's playing that well defensively at this point uh but you know i mean it seems like it could be especially given if you're a contender something on the order of two first round picks and then you know you his full bird rights would come with him and you could presumably potentially re-sign him as well uh you know tobias harris was younger so i wouldn't quite say that the package would be as high for green um but, you know, two first-round picks and a player, a young player of some note, you know, might might be yet um, hard to imagine that the Warriors would want to move on from him. I, mean, I think there would have to be some pretty major changes, especially considering that, you know, Klay Thompson probably won't even have played before the trade deadline. So they really aren't going to have an idea of his team. I mean, maybe Draymond will just say, hey, you're giving me the max and they're not going to pay that until they'd want to move him. But, you know, that's the only scenario I can foresee there. Um, I don't know. You got any different thoughts there? Yeah, the max the max part of it, and that ties in with the 
question that was asked is kind of is a good one in terms of where it where it goes from here. So as of right now, Draymond Green, you know, so he his max would be thirty four point eight million for uh, that would be the starting salary for a new for a new contract. So if it was with full bird rights, whether that's the Warriors or someone else, that would be a five year two hundred and one point eight million dollar deal. Or if he signed a max contract with somebody else with the smaller five percent raises, that would be four years one hundred and forty nine point six million dollars. The the second questioner was kind of getting in the idea of basically like will Draymond get a max in this market? And I think it's a it's a it's a possibility. My instinct though is that other than possibly like maybe a team like the Lakers, Draymond is is you know has the connections with Clutch and everything else. But the Lakers, you know, they don't have a ton of flexibility for next year. They would probably have to acquire him via trade. And boy, would that be an interesting trade. But I my instinct is that if a team offers Draymond the max that four-year max, it wouldn't be an immediate championship contender. It would be one of those teams that kind of has more money than they know what to do with. And just yeah, so, so do you want me to run through who I project to have money next year? Sure. This is before a, any, a useful exercise. Any rookie extensions. All right. Uh, and I'm still updating my sheet with uh, the numbers that Eric, Eric Pincus has. So these are estimates here. Uh, but Atlanta, 78 million. That's one I think could be a very interesting destination for him. Charlotte, Cleveland, doubt he's going to be interested there. Memphis, 55 million. The Knicks could have me 57 million, depending on what all those team options and nine guarantees happen. And Toronto could have 84 million. Those are the teams. Oh, and uh, Phoenix might have uh, as much as about 30 million or so. So those are the teams that really, as of now, could make a, a sizable offer to him. You know, you would think Atlanta and Toronto would be the ones that would be interesting to him. Um, you know, there also could be potentially some tr- sign and trade options available as well. Maybe the Warriors would be interested in that. I mean, it, so much depends on what would be out there. So, I, you know, I, I don't know that. I mean, there there is a lot of space, but it is, as you said, not the most attractive destinations. A lot of it is concentrated in one one place on some teams. And, you know, I mean, maybe it would be the Knicks. Who knows? But uh, but you know, Draymond, as we've talked about many times, has so much more value to a contender, and much depends, of course, on how he plays, how the Warriors season finishes up. The, you know, the most they can offer him is that four year extension for ninety nine million, you know, twenty five million a year. You'd imagine his market it would be better than that but maybe not for a team he would actually want to go to so uh you know i think something along the lines of what kevin love got would be his market you know 30 million a year for four years but you know assuming again that he continues to play at the level that he played at at the end of last year and through the playoffs um well and another point of evaluation here for the warriors is going to be how they see this moving forward so the the 2019-20 season will be stephen curry's age 31 year Draymond's 20 age 29 year and Clay Thompson though he's going to miss most of it age 29 year so Thompson and Curry are going to be on the team for the long haul they're already signed and then they also have the D'Angelo Russell contract whether that is him or somebody else that they theoretically get using that money Ethan Sherwood Strauss and I talked about that on Real Jam Radio and I it's gonna be really interesting to see you know with the incomplete information they're likely to have whether Bob Myers and Joe Lakeup Lakeup actually being more important in this feel that that core is good enough to really like win championships because if it's not then paying Draymond like the f- 
the full max or close to it for five years gets a, gets harder to take when it comes with the luxury tax and everything, the repeater tax and everything else. So my instinct is that they will grin and bear it if it's like close to it. Maybe it's like the DeMar DeRozan situation where he doesn't take the full max, but it's more than he could get anywhere else. That sort of thing. And if and I know the Draymond, considering what happened last time, wouldn't be thrilled about that. But I also don't know that he has the leverage, especially if it's like the Knicks that are offering a four-year max to say, you give me this or I'm going to go to the Knicks. Yeah, there really are just so many variables as to what this Warriors team is going to be. Is D'Angelo Russell still going to be there? Is he going to get flipped? How does Klay Thompson look when he comes back? How is Steph Curry aging? Does it look like Golden State are going to be possibly contenders if they re-sign Draymond? Maybe they just feel like they would want to move in a different direction. I mean, we've seen, for example, you know, if Russell Westbrook can get traded from OKC, I mean, that's about as sentimental favorite as a player could be in the NBA to their local market. So, you know, the Warriors just moved Iguodala. Clearly, they are willing to make the tough decisions if, in fact, it needs to be more of a total rebuild. And, you know, gosh, maybe even Steph Curry could get traded. Who knows? But uh, so it's really a team that's in flux. Very hard to see this one. And yeah, I'm sure they will. Well, I'm not sure. But I, I would, if I were them, offer the four-year $99 million extension. Don't see Draymond taking that, especially with the agent switch. Uh, you know, Rich Paul certainly is always willing to kind of let things play out, then take what he perceives to be as a below market extension. Also, Draymond, in theory, could be eligible for a no trade, although the Warriors seem to succeed in not giving those out. So we all uh, have big things in the future that we are saving for. The Warriors uh, might be saving up for a Draymond Green extension. Uh, it can be hard not to spend the money in your bank account. Uh, many, uh, we've seen a few NBA owners and GMs struggle with that when they had cap space. Uh, 2016, offseason comes to mind there. Well, with the Twine app, saving money towards your financial goals just got easier. You can save with a cash savings account or invest in a portfolio customized for you based on your needs. And with automatic deposits from your bank to Twine, you can set it, forget it, and save up without even trying. No more temptation to spend that extra money. You can even share a goal with a partner and save together. That is teamwork. With Twine, you can save and invest for the things that matter to you. All it takes is $5 and two minutes to get started. And you might as well start right now because Twine is offering you $15 to help you save for your goals. Go to twine.com, T-W-I-N-E, twine.com slash cap space. When you open your first goal, Twine will add $15 to your account. Once again, that's twine.com slash cap space today for $15 towards your first savings goal. Start saving with twine.com slash cap space and let them know with that slash cap space URL that you came from us. All right, where do you want to go next here? We got a question about the Raptors asking if Masai Ujiri is going to be a buyer after Christmas if the Raptors are in shape for a top three seed, and they asked for destinations for Marcus Gasol, Kyle Lowry, and Serge Ibaka. In terms of buying, it would surprise yeah, if me. they're a seller. Obviously, what would the destination? Yeah, be? would the seller be? Yeah. I, I, it would surprise me if the Raptors were a a buyer just because even though they have a, they have a lot of talent right now, you know, like the this is going to probably be built around the younger guys, and you know they would have to be like a real tight contender like I don't think necessarily being top three is that and Masai is very much a big picture person and remember that buying almost definitely limits the Raptors spending power moving forward now maybe it could be a situation where they get somebody who's already under contract who fits that dual vision that's entirely possible that might be the kind of move that Masai would make if if we're talking about you know Marcus Gasol Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka joining new teams remember that all of them would be pending unrestricted free agents with sufficient bird rights so 
some of it would come down to the, the, the tea leaves, the signals that they send to other teams. I think it might be harder than, than some think to get a, to get a real, a real hefty return on those guys. Just because my Marcus, all it's just that there are so many centers out there in the league. There aren't that many center needy teams. That's what made the Raptors kind of stand out last year was that they had a clearer role for that than a lot of these teams do. And even for example, like the Brooklyn Nets, they just brought in DeAndre Jordan. I don't think that they're going to, to go after it. Lowry would have more of a constituency, but remember that he's a little bit older than a team like, let's say the Orlando Magic would probably want. I think the Magic would love to have a point guard like Kyle Lowry, but would they give premium assets to to do that, especially if it likely means paying him a ton of money in the summer of 2020? Eh, probably not. Yeah, I, I think I could see Masai doing a limited attempt to get better, especially maybe if Philly is just not looking that good or Milwaukee is not looking that good. And yeah, who knows, maybe they could sneak their way to the finals. You would think that some perimeter creation is what would be most important for them to get. I mean, this is still going to be a very good defensive team, you would think. You know, a lot's going to depend too. You imagine if they're going towards the three seed that, and it Kobe, Siakam, those guys will take another step forward. Lowry won't have dropped off too much. So getting one more score, even as someone who's defensively limited, might be the direction that they would try to go. So, you know, you could see, especially if their record is good, him trying to make a move with a, a first-round pick, something pretty low-level. And they are going to just have a crap load of cap space. I, I'm also interested to see whether they reach an extension agreement with Siakam or not. That'll be very interesting to see. I mean, given that Jamal Murray has already gotten the max... And so as Ben Simmons, you could see Siakam maybe getting that as well. That would reduce, of course, the, their cap space by quite a bit. Siakam is going to have a tiny cap hold. Uh, so there's not a ton of reason other than just keeping him happy for Toronto to do that unless they get a discount off of it. Um so I think this is a team that if you can just get one more creator in there and Philly and Boston and Milwaukee aren't looking so hot that maybe they could talk themselves into maybe, you know, making a, a pretty decent playoff run. But I don't see Masai, you know, especially after the years with Lowry and DeRozan, him deluding themselves into thinking, all right, this is like a real contender. Let's throw in a lot of assets to get better. You know, and I, I that wasn't the thrust of the question either here. Uh, what's next? What is your ideal post-finals calendar for the draft free agency and summer league well i think this year was kind of messed up just by the fact that it was kind of an early year where the draft was just earlier summer league started earlier just because of the way that the days of the week worked out for a given date now i think next year everything kind of resets and starts later i think the season starts october 22nd i want to say so and everything will be you know the draft is at a more sane time it's like the 25th or 26th so a lot of the carping that we saw this year i think it is going to be a little more muted you know i think normally summer league you know starts like the 10th or the 11th most of free agency is going to be way done by then you can have the the utah summer league and and sacramento summer leagues will start much later as well uh so i think when you're more towards the later end of the spectrum it works much better uh and it's going to feel much better this year you know you won't have the draft as close to the end of the finals and so i don't really mind it too much i think that the draft is 
where teams are really drafting premium players for teams at the beginning of the draft it's more important than free agency and for teams at the end of the draft you know if you draft someone number 19 you're not expecting that guy to contribute and you're trying to be good that year so that's not really going to affect your free agency plans too much the biggest argument that i've heard of having the draft after the start of free agency is just that you don't have the situation where like you have these trades agreed to and they can't be promulgated until after the new league year but if you just got rid of the moratorium which is useless now anyway you could actually just sign players and do trades as of july 1st if you want to then you'd only have about a five-day period here with the draft i think july or june 25th this year where you have these trades that can't actually be executed until the new league year maybe you even would say let's start the new league year at the draft you know maybe you could do that but i don't advocate for flipping free agency and the draft or pushing summer league back or any of that stuff now one thing that i would actually be totally down for would be let's just start the season december 25th for christmas and then just have the season end you know in like mid-august instead you know like that's something or or it started in early december something like that uh where there's so so much less going on during the summer anyway where it's like a dead sports period i think the problem there is just like people are kind of just you know on vacation in july and august and just not watching tv as much so that might be why they wouldn't want to do that so but that would be something i would consider as well it's just keeping the same schedule just moving everything back two months and then just having your three months off be like during football season essentially yeah and, and you just got to the point that i think is the most compelling argument for that which is you avoid the nfl a little bit more which is still dominant in the in north american sports and especially in the united states i i would consider that i hope that the nba has done studies on it and for me the most important part and and this summer has crystallized an element that i've felt for a while which is that at least vegas summer league should not start before the moratorium ends and it could be as close as the same day but that led to a lot of these problems because yeah. when just get rid of the moratorium or like get, yeah so is, sh- i would shorten who the, likes the moratorium well there should point. be so i like having some short moratorium because that allows teams to sequence and structure transactions sometimes like we've seen okay so so how about this how days. about you start the moratorium you know like the day after the draft and then july 1st is when you can do everything yeah, i mean there, I guess, there, there, yeah. there are other ways to fix it like that or yeah. i mean and and they to me they should be able to have the firm cap number by july 1st like i it, I, I mean considering how few income streams there are just at that very end you can have a pretty good estimate of how much each finals game is going to be worth and all that kind of stuff it, I, I mean i would love to talk to somebody in the league office to know if they actually like use every bit of that because that's been part of the public rationale for why the moratorium exists i think having one that's like two days would probably be fine and where that two days is as you said would be could be in different places and then yeah well well, here's the other thing too it's like you know even once the moratorium ends you see teams kind of wait to structure their transactions for longer i mean we've had times where guys haven't even signed until like july 15th or something. right so I don't and think, yeah, yeah. That, it's not it, but there are certain times where it is and i think what one of the things that happened this year was there were a couple of trades like for example the the sun's t-wolves trade that involved Jarrett culver and cam johnson where those guys had been held out for so long 
that the teams just didn't feel it was worth it to bring them back in. There will be times, and I think for, it's going to— For Summer League. For Summer League. Yeah. I think there will be times where— Yeah, when, but that won't happen in previous years. Right, exactly, not, and that's yeah. why I would structure it to make sure that doesn't happen, you know, to make sure that there's a little bit more leeway, and that won't guarantee that everybody's going to play. There are plenty of reasons why that won't happen, or we'll see Zion Williamson-esque things where a guy plays, but very briefly. But I, I agree with you that I, I like the draft, then free agency, and the, the general timeline is close. I would just firm up a couple of different things just to make sure we don't get these nasty overlaps. And if they wanted to to push it back, for my purposes, I'd, I'd be totally on board. But there are elements of the revenue side of it that I don't know fully and would be, you know, be interested in hearing the argument. This is a good question, uh, an interesting one that I hadn't really thought about too much. What are some currently overlooked roster holes? So meaning like a team, a team's roster construction that you think could sink contenders if not filled? Front court defense in Boston. Yes, that's a big problem. Uh, all right, so who, who else is a contender? Okay. Denver? Den- Denver small forward is one of the first ones I thought of. Yep. Utah, I think they I think they could use another defensive forward as well. Yeah, I mean some people some people are talking about Golden State as a contender. Mm. Uh and you know, any wings at all <laughs> who could play defense. Yeah, more shoot, more than one forward who can actually play would be would be useful. Yeah, yeah. Uh but yeah, Utah is interesting. I mean, yeah, the someone like the guy they just traded away, Jay Crowder. You know, they're you're putting an awful lot on Rudy Gobert there. I mean, considering they got Jeff Green at the moon, they also got Royce O'Neal, who, you know, against some teams can kinda be similar to that player uh you know more of a uh, who's going to guard on the wing than you know, combo forwards but yeah i mean you, you when you wonder about like right who's going to guard lebron or Kawhi on that team it, you don't necessarily have a great answer so that's one but a couple but, other a couple others that i have and it, they're, they're a similar niche on different teams is a a playmaking on ball off ball hybrid option on both the lakers and the bucks I think it's actually more of an issue on the Lakers just with they didn't really get that guy in free agency. You know, Danny Green can't really handle the ball. He's he's a nice shooter, but they don't have that point guard who can who can really mesh with it. And then the Bucks have Eric Bledsoe and they paid George Hill over three years. But I thought Brogdon really did give them something off the bounce and that, that combination of player. And I think both of those teams are really going to miss having a, a, a player who can lighten the load at least some of the time for their stars. Yeah, in Houston, I mean, Eric Gordon is probably in practice going to be their small forward a lot of the time. And he, he has really improved his defense and, and he's strong. He can switch. They got P.J. Tucker, but yeah, Daniel House, Gerald Green, Gary Clark, Anthony Bennett is, is now on the team. Uh, so yeah, depth uh, on the forward line for them is not amazing either. Um, Toronto, to the extent you want to call them a contender, you know, just scoring, pick and roll play, uh, just someone who can get you a bucket. I think they're really missing that. I left my biggest one, and that's yeah. a, a primary crunch time ball handler for Philadelphia. In I, I mean, yeah. they relied so much on Jimmy Butler, and maybe Ben Simmons makes that jump. Maybe Embiid can do more with the ball in his hands. I I love Josh Richardson. I don't think that he's that guy. And they ha- they I mean maybe maybe Brett Brown could do it through scheme or something else, but I think that's going to end up being an issue and like a few of these Houston has this too it's not necessarily going to be an issue that rears its head during the regular season because you just don't play that many games where those sorts of holes are tested or really matter but there are enough good teams that second round of the playoffs conference finals NBA finals they could be huge issues well and I think the trade deadline and the buyout market but more so maybe the trade deadline are going to be massive this year and especially which of these teams still have some capital to go after guys you know for example the Clippers and the Lakers 
not a ton of ammo left to to get an upgrade at this point although those teams would look better uh, on the buyout market and the clippers in particular maybe needing a defensive center you know there's some possibility that those guys centers are always more likely to be available on the buyout market but who can actually fill their holes this year is going to be massive uh, and because i don't think that anybody next year at least going into the year looks as good as the bucks actually ended up being or as good as golden state would have been without the injuries or maybe even as good as golden state would have been without kd and everyone else healthy um and certainly not as good as toronto either toronto is another team that really had no weaknesses and you can't say that about any team right now going into this season this is an interesting one who's gonna get left out of the Pels rotation they do have a lot of or guys. should I mean those yeah. you could have two different so questions there. in the guard area I mean the, the guys that seem like locks to me Drew Holiday JJ Redick Lonzo Ball then I would say each one more is maybe in he also could be out Nikhil Alexander Walker Josh Hart I think they're kind of in flex it's a deep team very deep team then, I, I mean now they only have one true small forward still who which are, is Ingram yeah in and, I, and, I, and I think Ingram's more of a four than a three yeah but as far as the ability to defend other teams small forwards yes so then in the kind of the front court zion favors ingram they're all locks i would say jackson hayes is pretty close especially considering how he played in summer league and to to being a lock yeah i i mean at least in some sort of role you know like you know i I think it could be more like a five to ten minute a game thing but i don't think they're going to want to like marginalize him that far you know like not play him at all like give him g league reps or something like that like that's my, my guess is that especially when he got drafted so high though you could argue it'd be the best thing for them but i don't think he's going to be like the centerpiece of it i think that's going to be Derek favors and zion Wars. yeah I, I wish they had one or two more forwards but again i mean they're not a clear-cut like playoff team as of right now so it's <laughs> their roster construction issues aren't that huge of a deal yeah i mean and Nikhil alexander walker like Whew. where is he i mean now with Lonzo, with Brandon Ingram, with Josh Hart, you could very easily see guys being injured and Alexander Walker getting a chance to play. And same thing with Hayes. Uh, you know, will we see any of Zion at center and Ingram moving up to the four? That could open up some more space. But if Ingram moves up to the four, then, you know, is it Ito Moore at the three or Darius Miller or, you know, Josh Hart has some size. Maybe you could play there. But yeah, this is a pretty deep team, certainly at, at this point in time. And uh, David Griffin talking about how they're kind of going to try to use Zion more as a playmaker in some respects and you know kind of dream on green type and not put too much on him as a scorer initially I mean I still would like to see more of him as the center in uh you know four units around him I it seems like with both some of the sh- limited shooting options in the backcourt and favors and Hayes we're going to see very little of that alignment this season uh, what do you each consider your biggest weaknesses or blind spot for analysis? Oh, you want to go first on this one? Well, for prospects, it has long been a player who is point guard size but can't reliably create separation. You know, like those, I've always liked those kind of big point guards, but there's a reason why guys like Magic Johnson are the exception that prove the rule rather than the rule. And I, you know, for a lot of, you know, some of them ended up working out. I was a big Sean Livingston guy, and I, I still believe that he could have worked out better had he not. His his knee not exploded but guys like i missed on exum for this exact reason where it's like oh you 
know, they'll figure all that other stuff out. Now I'm gaining an appreciation for how important it is to not only have the passing vision, but the ability to to really create those opportunities. That's a pretty big weakness. Um, I would say I, 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 along those lines, and this is the Dragon Bender mistake, is it's so hard to become a really effective NBA player without solid to very good NBA athleticism. And I'm far too willing to write that off for players who haven't established that they're like hyper intelligent or have something else that comes to the table. Ethan and I talked about this a little bit with, with like people trying to say they're finding the next Draymond is that there's a reason that those players are extremely rare. And I think I'm getting better at calibrating that, but there's still still those times where it's like oh this guy succeeded in college i think it's going to work and then it just doesn't so a couple things for me and this is things that nba teams just have more resources devoted to more information just how hard of a worker a guy is uh, the level of character whether he's going to improve his body really work hard to improve his shooting etc you know some of the guys that I've missed on have been guys where, you know, I, I just, I don't want to put too much stock in whatever reports pop up pub- publicly unless I know of specific incidents. So, you know, someone like Dennis Smith, for example, that's someone that, you know, maybe could still work out, but certainly doesn't look like the Knicks are planning on that happening. Uh, well, and I want to add a point on that. The other, I would feel a lot more comfortable with the information that NBA teams get because I also wouldn't like the to take that as gospel for the people who do the filtering. Like, so for, like, because I don't necessarily trust anybody's filter as much as i respect there are a lot of people who do this and who talk about character red flags i would it, you know it, it's just so hard because sometimes character red flags come on or you hear negatives about guys yeah. and it's just and sometimes it's bullshit yeah remember like rudy gobert doesn't like basketball enough like that was just one of the stupidest things that's ever been out there right and so if i could filter that kind of stuff or get or get interview time with players i think i could do a decent job of it or get interview time with actual mental professionals that kind of an idea but i don't that's and that's the big reason why I don't consider as much you and I've talked about this before is because a lot of it maybe there's something out there but if I don't know how to filter if I don't know how to how to evaluate what that person is saying then I don't feel comfortable using it in my analysis um so so that's one um I mean I think I'm certainly seduced by guys with either incredible athleticism and that's like athleticism that you actually see applied regularly on the court you know I was never seduced by Andrew Wiggins because I didn't see him actually apply that on the court and then just certain like guys with a really high skill level you know I mean I'm just I I'm I just respect that so much I I enjoy watching it so much you know and Jabari was one of those guys for me who I always uh, until really last year always had a soft spot for because I really just respected his skill level and I thought he had some moves that he worked on that not a lot of guys had uh but you know and so maybe I got seduced by that and didn't see the forest for the trees you know, so, so that's one I think where I'm just like oh wow that's really like you know you'll see those flashes and they just burn in your memory maybe more than they should another one that I just wish I were better at is figuring out who's going to be able to improve their shot and who isn't I mean I think I've gotten pretty good but at this point I think of just seeing the guys where I'm like this is a pretty low probability of improving right like I feel pretty darn good that Zion Williamson is never going to be more than a break glass in case of emergency because you're just left so wide open NBA three-point shooter. Now, maybe he just totally reworks his form and, you know, that's something that's kind of hard to predict. But with the, the way it looks currently, not being a great free throw shooter, I feel pretty good about that. But just you're kind of... 
you know, your Glenn Robinson, the third type of guys, you know, guys like, okay, this guy's jumper looks okay. The percentage hasn't been amazing. You know, he shoots like 73% from the free throw line or something like, and, and I think NBA teams obviously struggle with that too. You know, it'd be nice to be able to see guys shoot in workouts and uh, maybe you could get a little more information on who's going to get better there. But, you know, a lot of it's how hard you're going to work. And some of it is just having the natural hand-eye coordination. So, I mean, I think that's something that the industry as a whole struggles with. But, you know, so, some of that I just, kind of I kind of just have to place in the bag of all right maybe it will maybe it won't and we just have to evaluate this guy going forward with some chance it's going to work out and some chance it's not and that's a that's always you don't feel great about that um let's see here let's talk a little clippers if they were to underperform expectations what would you expect to be the cause other than injury although I will say this I mean I think injury should be factored in with you know, Kawhi need to be load managed. Is that going to go as well as it did in Toronto? Is... Well, and with Paul George, I think that's that's yeah. the one that's giving me more pauses. The shoulder, the shoulder stuff that he's dealing with. I mean, the possibility that he's not even ready to start the season. And while the Clippers have depth, they don't really have another Paul George as no other team in the NBA does. So it could take them some time beyond just uh, bringing all these guys in and everything else. I'm going to be yeah. very interested. Now they do have Rodney Magruder, Jermichael Green, and Mo Harkos. I mean, that's kind yeah, of a they have talent better backup core at uh the three and the four than a lot of teams have but you know those are uh, all guys who have started to some degree although you would look at them as lower end starters so what i i think something that could be a factor in the clippers disappointing is their like regular season defense both Kawhi and paul george can really ramp it up when they need to and want to and I, that's part of why i'm a believer in them as a playoff team as currently constructed and also where they could be but especially Kawhi in in this form where he's not really the shutdown corner type of guy he's a little bit of a different defensive player and he's going to be load managed and everything else I I, I don't think that he's going to be as consistent an impact player on that end. And so if you combine that with a center rotation that does not exactly have those stabilizing forces, Zubac is interesting. I think that he has some potential on that end, especially with this talent around him. I'm not a believer in Harold defensively. And then they could go in some other directions, just depending on how they want to use their remaining assets. Jermichael Green, for example, is a switching center. But I wouldn't be surprised at all if the Clippers, sort of paralleling the Warriors in a for a different reason are a meaningfully better playoff defense than regular season defense and that could end up hurting them in the regular season just having some games where teams have big nights and then they just can't keep yeah and if lou williams is going to be closing games he's one of the worst defensive guards in basketball in the, the in that series against golden state admittedly a monstrous offensive team the clippers had a specific scheme for when they're switching stuff that anytime lou williams man caught the ball they just went and double teamed immediately <laughs> basically uh or or at least if Lou was on any of the like their decent offensive players. So that's a major concern. Uh, you know, he's kind of just like a give up level of effort defender, and you know, he weighs about a buck sixty. And, and then Harrell as well is one of the worst high minute defensive centers in basketball. And so, you know, Beverly, maybe he'll be closing games, but he could slow down, he could get hurt as well. And so, yeah, George and Leonard at their absolute peaks have been really good, but are they going to be there? I mean, guys might continue to get better on offense if you're a true superstar as you near 30, but usually defense in particular will take a step back as you lose athleticism and you can't just run all day forever and your body hurts a little more and you got to be a little more judicious about your efforts. So yeah, I, I think that they are going to really disappoint on defense in the regular season in particular. Uh, and uh, 
similar question of what the biggest weakness on that Clippers roster is. And yeah, I think it's just uh, overall defense. Now, you know, they have Jamichael Green, maybe they play him at center son, but you know, Harrell and, and Lou Will in particular, while they were a great story last year, those are guys that you wonder about at the deepest levels of the playoffs because they can be attacked so easily and maybe there does need to be at some point a spot to upgrade and maybe I think it even would make some sense to maybe try to move Harold uh, to get kind of just you know more of a role-playing type of guy at center especially someone who can shoot the ball that's another thing that they really lack is a stretch five maybe Jamichael Green becomes that player but you know again he doesn't have a ton of size or rebounding ability yeah, it, it could also be a circumstance of kind of selling high on Harold because while he's a talented player, he's not. Big time. And he's going to be a free agent. He's not. He's not particularly yeah. valuable for this specific brand of team. You know, like a title right. contender, and so he has value to other teams and having his bird rights and everything else. But I want to go into the second question here we got, which I think is interesting. What do you see as the biggest weakness on the Clippers roster? And I'm going to say this is outside of defense. And do you think they can fix it by trade? And I've been thinking. Yeah, about, yeah, I addressed that a little. Yeah, bit but I have. Already, I have yeah. a second one that I want to talk about, and that's why I wanted to, okay. to bring it up. And that's pull up jump shooting and. So, yeah, if Lou Williams is in, he can do a lot with the ball in his hands. And I like Paul George. I like Kawhi. And again, it might be more of a regular season thing than a playoff situation. But I would love for there to have be one more guy on this team where if he just somebody sets him a high screen that you're actually scared of him taking that jump shot. And but so Paul George and Kawhi Leonard isn't enough there. I don't think so. I, I think you, and Lou Williams. I mean, that's like, well, you, my, you're my probably idea in like my, the top five of the NBA. Of my, jump my idea is that Lou Will's probably I, I don't think he's going to be on the floor for a lot of the big moments. And like, that's not what Shamit does. So basically it's like another guy who can be a threat with the ball in his hands. And maybe that just ends up being Kawhi and Paul George and it's not a problem. But I, I have this instinct that they're going to need one more guy. And Lou Williams can be that guy, but his limitations make me wish it was somebody else. Yeah, I mean, and I disagree with you. I think, you know, Kawhi and Paul George, I mean, are both guys who are going to be the ones with the ball at the end of games, running pick and roll. And those guys have been, Kawhi in particular, I mean, Kawhi is a, a fantastic mid-range shooter. Uh, also fantastic is Stitch Fix. However you dress, they have the expert personal stylist that can help you look at your best or they could help you transform your style as well if you want to go in a different way. Casual, sophisticated, playful. Their online personal styling service delivers your favorite clothing brands right to your door and they'll work with you to help you refine your look. The way it works is you go to stitchfix.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL, of course. Answer some questions about your preferred style and your personal shopper will ship you a box of clothes, shoes, and accessories. No commitment. You only pay for what you keep. Shipping, exchanges, and returns are always free i've used them their return process is about as easy as it gets for companies like this where they ship you stuff and you ship it back their 20 dollars styling fee is automatically applied towards anything that you keep from your box and this is one that's just going to save you time because they're going to send you some awesome stuff that fits with your preferred style you don't have to go to the store and try stuff out try to find stuff on the rack comb through everything they'll just send you some stuff and hey if you don't like it you send it back you have a dialogue with them they do a great job as a taller guy we're able to really work on finding me some stuff that fit me fit the shape of my body as well they're extremely responsive to my messages to to help us really drill down with what i wanted so you can go that route 
or you can just go the route of hey send me some stuff and let's see if i like it hey it might it might be good it might be something that you never thought of even so never think about looking good again it's just going to happen with stitch fix get started to get at stitch fix sti tch stitchfix.com slash cap space get an extra 25 percent off when you keep everything in your box and don't forget that slash cap space url stitchfix.com slash cap space let them know that you came from us all right let's hit a little lightning round here you want to pick one first you, you will just each of us will pick one and go for 30 seconds and then we'll just hand it off to the other one and we'll the next person will pick a question sure if washington extends beal for the long haul which i don't expect to happen for the record what is their next move other than tanking for the 2020 lottery could they use draft capital to trade john wall once healthy i would not use assets significant assets to move john wall because there isn't really that much of a return the wizards aren't good enough to attract free agents at this point and john wall is one of the if not the single worst contract in the league so i think you just take it for a little while you let those some of the bad contracts you know the mckean me's come off the books and try to generate some value and probably thinking more about 2021-22 as being the real target maybe by then they know what they have in troy brown and hashimura and some and ideally some of their other draft picks but that's where i'd be going i'd trade him after six months and he's eligible to be traded oh yeah i would i would do that too if he agrees to an extension (laughs) also true um I mean, I don't know. Obviously, you could run into some problems with that, the perception problems there. How would you handle Indiana's big man logjam with Turner, Sabonis, and Bitadze? Uh, Bitadze is drafted number 18 this year. I think of him as more of a twig than a, a log there in that jam. But I actually would trade Sabonis post haste. Uh, they are going to try, oh, we're going to play Turner and Sabonis together. Maybe that's to create some trade leverage. But probably they're going to actually try that. Uh, I don't believe that can be effective. I think Sabonis isn't a good enough shooter. I don't think, now maybe Turner is, but I don't think he's a good enough defender at the four. He works best as a pick and roll guy. And, you know, those guys offensively, I think, could work okay together. But I think the biggest value of Turner is that now you can play five out with him and, and do some with him pick and popping the three or playing the Brook Lopez role and really opening the lane up for Victor Oladipo once he's back healthy in theory to get all the way to the rim and finish. You know, I don't like like Turner to me has these unique skills and why mess that up? by putting another big next to him who has to be closer to the basket like take advantage of those skills by putting more shooting on the floor so that's how i would handle it and i also think that sabonis you know he's going to need to be extended so you'd want to trade him before the season starts in theory if you can't reach what you think would be a positive value extension and i just i don't think he's a starter i don't think he defends well enough i think he falls into the same category as harold he's better defensively than harold is but particularly from a rebounding standpoint and an instinct standpoint but to me he's one of these kind of offense only big men your Ennis Cantor types who just you know are not going to be a starting center uh but maybe some team will be enamored of him and want to pay him like a starting center that's what he's going to want to be paid and I think Miles Turner is there on a value contract and I think he's better than Sabonis so I would try to move Sabonis that was more than 30 seconds uh sorry about that is Drew Holiday a trade candidate the Pels underwhelmed by the trade deadline yes he is and Holiday the biggest question that New Orleans is going to need to answer is what is their timeline are they good enough now to be competitive are they going to need a few years because if they're going to need a few years holiday is 29 and could help out another team in the interim and the pc 
pieces that you get for him could be more in line with Zion and maybe Ingram, whoever they see as their core moving forward. So yeah, I absolutely could see him as a trade candidate. I, I, I mean, my vision of the Pelicans was that they weren't going to be as immediately competitive as they might be. So I would have been looking at trading him potentially this summer, but it also gives them a little bit of time to evaluate whether Lonzo is a part of their future and a lot of these other parts. But yeah, I could see him being moved at the deadline. Sure. If you could fix one thing about today's NBA, what would it be? Probably moving to a 58 game schedule, play twice a week, play each team twice and keep the schedule the same uh, amount of time. Uh, Other candidates would be reforming the charge rules I talked about in that Sloan presentation that I did. And I I think though the season is really the one for me. It's just getting more and more devalued each year. The quality of play is going down each year. The applicability of the regular season to the playoffs is going down more and more each year as well. So uh, that'd be the one for me. I will echo that. I was going to ask and answer that question with the same answer. And it it, it would have so many other spillover benefits. And I actually think the downside, the costs are a lot lower than some fear in terms of revenue. And that affects both players and owners alike. Do you take the Clippers and Lakers or the field to win the championship? I take the field because there's so much uncertainty. And I mean, even just basic stuff like injuries. And I like both the Clippers and the Lakers. I mean, they're, they're two of my stronger contenders to win the championship but in in a year this wide open where there's so much that could change based on trades and on players developing and everything else I'm going to go for the broader thing that is the field best contract signed over the last five years so we'll say this is non-max contracts and non-rookie contracts few candidates pj tucker draymond green getting less than the max uh, five years 82 million especially five years no player option that was pretty good draymond is probably the biggest one that comes to mind. I mean, all-star player you know making 15 16 million a year getting him on that five-year deal any others come to mind for you i, I would like you to chime in uh, on this one uh clay got less than the max too yeah that's true uh although that was that was also a rookie extension which i think was a little bit different than a guy getting to free agency yeah that's true uh and only four years as well so um yeah and, and that i mean that was basically a max extension <laughs> like it, it just it you know golden state got their million dollars a year pound of flesh um it was only a one-year deal but one that came to mind is the brook lopez contract just because he oh yeah he, as a specific guy who who opened things up milwaukee didn't have a ton of flexibility so to get him was an absolutely huge thing for them um you know some might say Giannis and rudy gobert at less than the max but i think if you went back and asked those teams both would have wished they would have just forked over the full five-year designated player extension because they would just have them for another year that's more important than uh getting a, a little bit of a discount off the max uh yeah i think i'm gonna go with draymond but you know uh kyle lowry i guess this might close to the last five years 2014 offseason kyle lowry signed for a three plus one for uh 12 million a year that was pretty good back then smaller cap but uh as it went up that was, that was pretty solid all right yeah i think draymond is probably the answer for me um you know steph curry if you want to go back even further would be it but that was not the question uh which two young players still on their rookie contract would you like to see paired up hmm. luca probably start there oh part of me about, wants, uh, part of me wants to yeah. say luca deer and fox which absolutely could have happened and would have been so much damn fun <laughs> uh luca and jaron jackson would be an interesting one zion and jaw would be fun oh yeah yeah i mean that's just or zion and trey i mean zion and trey you worry a little bit more about the yeah. defensive stuff but it means yeah there's a lot of good a lot of guys out of those these last two drafts here um but yeah i mean we're talking about 16 17 18 and 19 drafts 
playoffs. I mean, like Don, Donovan Mitchell and Zion would be really fascinating, especially. Yeah, I'm going to go with. Uh, no, I think I'm going to go with Trey Young and Zion Williamson. That would be my two. I think I'm going to go Luca and Zion just because I, I wonder what that would because you could put so many different things around them that it would. Be yeah, really just uh, just make make sure you uh, you hire a good chef for that team. Real good chef. Actually, maybe a bad chef. Maybe maybe you should be a bad. No, chef. you want a good chef because then they'll eat all their meals there. Yeah, yeah, and, and they could make uh, healthy food taste good. Um, do you think Donovan Mitchell played better in year two? I keep reading or hearing about his sophomore slump. No, I don't think so. I think he took a step forward shooting the ball from three in particular. Uh, now he did struggle in the playoffs, perhaps a little more than he did in year one. Had a very rough series against Houston, but no, I, I thought he played better, especially in the last three months or so of the year. I mean, he, it, it just Tatum suffered from this uh, as well, where you just the expectations for a guy from year one to year two. There's a thought that okay, he was already better. I mean, guys who as rookies are way better than expected as rookies, and then you also expect them to take a another big leap you know because the reason they're better than expected as rookies is because they took a big leap from where they were in college to where they were their first year and so expecting all right we're gonna see another sizable leap like this that would be an interesting study actually i wonder if someone just joined the athletic who might be interested in that of do guys who really overperform their draft position in their first year do those guys experience a little more regression or a slower growth rate than guys who kind of play to their draft position that maybe you know there's just a regression or you just improve so much that in that one year that there's it's just harder to improve the next year i don't know the answer to that actually i mean you, you could just as easily make the argument of oh the reason they got so much better is because they worked so much harder and they're going to continue to work that much harder. Um, whereas, you know, De'Aaron Fox kind of had a pretty rough year and then he took a big leap from year one to year two. So maybe people are expecting him to take another big leap. You know, they're going to be a little disappointed too. I mean, that's uh, probably something that happens more in baseball maybe than basketball, but uh, that's an interesting thought. Uh, but no, I didn't think, I thought he was right on track last year. One quick note on that. I think there's also the issue that that Mitchell in his rookie year, he played a lot. I thought he played better towards the end of the year. And so then becomes thinking of that as his new baseline rather than the whole year and people can get into that this could be an issue with Colin Sexton where oh the 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 only thing that matters is the last two months and he was awesome in the last two months so that's where it's going from moving forward yeah and and there is little evidence to support that right so uh, Uh, and there's some evidence that the end of the year is more important but you know you still don't you can't discount that first part of the year sure I, I forget exactly what the split is that kp came up with as an estimate for how important you know i think it was something along the lines of like you know between 33 and 40 like the first half of your rookie year counts between like 33 and 40 percent of your projection for the year after that and, and i think that might be true of all nba players as well yeah I, I, because, th- I think that it, yeah. i think that it's something like that a uh, quick question if pat riley is seen as this basketball messiah then how in his management with the role, role with the heat can he throw so much money at mediocre players and still be viewed as a good front office person one false premise in the question i mean there's a very big difference between pat riley's overall reputation in basketball and his current standing as a general manager you know like he has done so much as a coach and as a general manager at other points in his career but your incentives change a little bit when you get older and it seems like these align with his owner as well which is they wanted to be competitive it was a really weird 2017 class that didn't have a lot of options they waited out gordon hayward they didn't get gordon hayward so they ended up doing these ellsberg driven kind of creativity to bring in the most possible talent they could it was just that the 
talent didn't work out. But I think the other part is that's a, an element of being a general manager, but it's also drafting and the work that Miami has done as a front office, whether, and Riley is the head of that, cultivating guys through the G League and that are undrafted or low draft picks. They've done a great job of that and, and deserve credit for players like Tyler Johnson and Rodney Magruder. And those guys really contributed to those teams. And they basically created quality players out of unusual places. And that's a, the sign of a good front office. Yeah, I agree with you. And they have gone big game hunting and just haven't landed the fish. Uh, that was a terrible analogy. All right, let's do one more here. <laughs> That was great. What do you expect from OG and Anobi in 2019-20 and going forward? I expect outstanding individual defense. I expect him to be a good transition player. I don't expect him to be a quality creator. Really, what I think is going to determine how good he's going to be is how good does he get at attacking closeouts and getting to the rim he loves that strong right hand dribble he can be a spectacular finisher but can he make the right decisions there can he add some euro steps some moves to beat help defenders and score you know i expect him to be more of an advantage attacker off of other people's advantages than creating the initial advantage himself and then of course the the shooting as well you know i, I would expect him to settle in in kind of the 34 percent range but you know you could see 36 37 percent you could see 31 percent, and that could be random chance it could be indicative of his true skill level obviously you know that first half of 17 18 when he was shooting like 40 percent from three a lot of that was from the corners you know that is i think overstates where he is going to be uh something i want to mention with og is i want to keep an eye on his, what i call his aggressiveness stats so last year his free throw attempt rate his restricted area rate both went down and then his floater range rate went up and I, that always makes me uncomfortable because sometimes that can you know and he was he dealt with some, some injury stuff and everything else this past year and it's not like he was going from a high bar his free throw attempt rate was 18 percent his rookie year dropped to 15 so if those can go up a little bit especially if teams close out on him a little bit harder or something like that i think that could really help his overall efficiency because his gate you know even if it's kind of a small part of his game a small part getting better can be an important element well don't forget that you can improve your efficiency as a basketball fan with the athletic which gives a full suite of local and national NBA coverage. You get smarter sports coverage, no ads, no pop-ups, no autoplay videos. They got awesome podcasts as well behind their paywall. Go to theathletic.com slash castbase for 40% off a yearly subscription. That comes out to just under $3 a month with that yearly subscription. Theathletic.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.